You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Diana Merriam, and you are listening to the What's Up Next podcast. It's like you've been on radio or something. I, that was like my radio voice. Wasn't it? it was good. <laughs> Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, that's a really good question, Doc. What is up next? There is a new conference in town and it is called Oconomy. And we have the, what would you call yourself, Diana? The producer, the host, the brain behind it? The chief economist. We'll get into some interesting letters that I'm throwing into words for no reason. But yeah, I call myself the chief economist of the Economy Conference. So speaking of extra letters, I have to ask you about your name because the first time we got on the phone with each other, you said, my name's Diana, and you made a joke about the way your name is spelled. Do you remember that? Yes. Well, I have a number of jokes about my name because this is a conversation I have every day. Uh, Yeah, this extra I, usually I say it's purely there to confuse you. Or I say it's it's very ironic that there's a silent eye in the name of someone who never shuts up. Or I say that it's my mother's ultimate revenge for 30 hours of labor. There's just, there's a plethora of explanations I have about my name. But yeah, it's a silent eye, silent extra eye in there. So that silent extra eye makes me think a lot about the name of the conference, Economy. What does that mean? Where did you come up with that from? Okay, so can I tell you a secret, which I haven't, I don't know that I've shared this very publicly, but originally the name of the conference was supposed to be Frugal as Fuck because <laughs> I thought it was funny and I'm a sucker for alliteration and I like to curse. So I thought, you know, I'm going to call this conference Frugal as Fuck or Frugal AF. And I realized in the development of the conference that the name just really didn't do it justice. It's not a conference about being frugal. It really is a conference about what I'm saying now is like provocative speakers exploring a new American dream. It is rooted in the fire movement for sure, but I was creating this concept that was a little bit broader than just fire and financial independence because I wanted it to be really sustainable over time and to be able to kind of bring in other topics and speakers that might be relevant 
relevant, but not specifically about financial independence. So in exploring kind of what, and I mean, this was, it took months to come up with the name because, you know, you can't just have a flash of creativity. Like, what am I going to call this thing? And I, I think I was a little attached to Frugal AF for a while just because I just thought it was so funny. And it was, I thought of it at the time when I was first getting this idea off the ground. So I was a little bit attached to it. So what I ended up doing is getting on Reddit and I just did a post on Reddit and said, here's the overall concept of the conference. Here are some topics that I want to cover. I'm really struggling on a name. I wanted to call it Frugal AF. But I realize that it's not fitting. And as much as I want the conference to be provocative ideas exploring a new American dream, maybe Frugal AF is a little too provocative. <laughs> so I just kind of put it out into the Reddit atmosphere. And some guy who I've contacted since, I sent him a private message and said, You got to come to this thing. You came up with the name. But he just commented and said, What about economy? M E at the end. So, yes, it came from an internet angel, economy. I feel like you were channeling J.L. Collins when you're talking about frugal AF that would tie right into FU money. This wouldn't be appropriate for all of our kids, maybe. So if that's what economy is, you call yourself an economist or the chief economist. What so, do you mean by that? So I thought it was a funny, it's like I'm creating a homophone, right? <laughs> it's a different meaning. It's a different spelling, but it's the same pronunciation. Kind of like my name, you know? Is my name a homophone? I don't know. I thought it was fun to pronounce it economist. I actually talking to some actual economists at the University of Cincinnati to like have a real economist on staff to like give me permission to call myself an economist <laughs> with a different spelling. But yeah, it's just a funny play on words. You know, it's if you think about the economy and I have a fun way that I explain it in this one presentation that I want to make sure I don't screw up the verbiage here. So I want to pull it up. But if you think about an economy is the wealth and resources of a country or region, especially in terms of the production and consumption of goods and services. And then another definition of the economy is the careful management of available resources, right? So economy, M-E at the end, it's like taking that definition and applying it to an individual or family versus a country or region. And then when you think about the careful management of available resources, economy, the reason why you'd want to do that is to really maximize happiness. So again, play on words, but I think it really applies to the kind of stuff that we're talking about at this conference. So I think before we delve into the conference itself, we have to understand a little bit about you and how you got here. How did you discover the financial independence movement? When was it and what tipped you off? Definitely by accident. It was probably 2015, the fall of 2015. I was living in New York City and I was a part of this group of women. We were kind of a mastermind group, I guess you'd say. We'd meet like once a month and we all had goals, whether they be, you know, get a new job or get a raise or get out of debt or lose weight. You know, we all had a number of goals that we were working on, but most of us were trying to get out of debt. And so one of the ladies sent, she worked at Google. And so I guess software developers are all drawn to Mr. Money Mustache, right? Mm -hmm. And she ended up just sending this article to the group. Like, hey, I found this article from this dude, Mr. Money Mustache, thought it was relevant for the conversation we had this week. Enjoy. And it was just as simple as that. And it just like woke up this monster inside of me, this interest in financial independence. And I didn't know it. I think that when I discovered Mr. Money Mustache, I read one article and that led me to just start from the beginning and I read every article and I just became obsessed with it. 
I think I just never heard someone talk about money in the way that he did before. You know, you read articles about getting out of debt and it's overly simplistic. You know, it's like, just spend less money. Yeah, okay, but how do I do that? I think that that blog, it just affected me on such a deep level because it changed the way that I thought about consumerism and what I actually want versus need. And it did it in such a fun way that I was very receptive to. And so at the time I was 30 grand in debt and I got out of that debt in 11 months, which based on the calculators and whatnot that I used before, I thought it was going to take me years to get out of that debt. But it was this huge confidence builder in that I learned all of these skills that I didn't know that I had, like cooking, you know, or just being resourceful in general. It just opened up this well of creativity that ended up feeling very fun and not like deprivation at all, which most people around me were like, oh, poor Diana, you're eating rice and beans, you know, while you get out of your 30 grand in debt. But it wasn't like that for me at all. I mean, I was hosting these elaborate dinner parties. I was sharing my internet with the neighbors below me. I wasn't buying clothing. I was hosting clothing exchanges. It all felt so playful to me. And it was just, again, a huge confidence builder that if I could do that and actually enjoy the process, well, what's next? That's appropriate for, so what is next? So you told us about kind of your financial situation. You were 30 grand in debt, about how some of the levers that you pulled, what did you do after that? There's a big life experience that you shared with me while we met each other at Camp Five. How did that come about? So I decided that I wanted to take a two-month sabbatical off of work and go walk the Camino de Santiago, which is a 500-mile trek across Spain. And I think having that goal really tied into the whole getting out of debt because I knew that I was going to be asking for two months off of work. I didn't know if my company was going to honor that request. Mm -hmm. It was a very unconventional ask. I didn't have any examples in my life of anyone ever taking a sabbatical or anyone ever, you know, asking for two months off unpaid. It was just kind of totally out of the blue for me to even think that I could ask that. And I guess I was a little insecure that maybe they wouldn't grant the request. And so I needed to figure out, well, am I going to go anyway? You know, is it possible for me to save enough money to just be able to go take this crazy trip and figure it out when I got back? So that was kind of the the motivation, I would say, in getting out of debt that quickly with the help of reading Mr. Money Mustache and then also saving enough money that I felt secure enough to, you know, have the FU money, I guess you could say, to have the balls to go to my employer and say, hey, I'm going to go do this thing. And it wasn't just asking for two months off. It was also asking to move out of New York City and move to Cincinnati and work remotely. I remember how nervous I was when I made the ask, for sure. But at the time, it was like I was turning 30 years old. I realized that I had met most of the professional goals that I had and I wasn't any happier for it. And I just felt like I needed to do something crazy to kind of shake me out of the habits that I had built over my 20s and you know, figure out how do I reprioritize my values to create a life that is my unique version of happiness. Talk a little bit more about that. So you discover financial independence, you go walk the Camino. How did life change after that? Talk to us a little bit about the specific changes you made. Well, I would say that the Camino in its own right was really important for me because up until that point, I would say I was definitely a workaholic at the expense of relationships, at the expense of my health. I prioritize work over everything else. And it definitely helped me succeed in my career. But you're told this kind of version of the American dream where you climb the ladder and you buy the big house and you have the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and the two brand new cars and like that's supposed to make you happy. And in my experience, it didn't. 
So I think that I was very confused as to like, I felt like I was sold this bill of goods and, and it, it didn't work out the way that I thought it should. And so the Camino to me was definitely a slowing down, definitely a, you know, your day-to-day obligations are put on hold and your only job is to get up and to walk 10 to 20 miles to the next town and figure out where you're going to sleep, figure out, you know, what you're going to eat, trust that the uncertainty of your day is going to work out and that you're smart enough to figure it out. And then you meet these amazing people along the way. And so the people that I met was very impactful for me is that no one asked me what I did for work. Nobody cared what I did for work. They wanted to know me. They wanted to know the me beyond my career. And that was really important for me because again, up until that point, I really defined myself by my job. And I would say that I discovered this kind of generous person inside of me that I didn't know was there. Like there was just this immediate camaraderie with people you met on the trail. And I found myself, I really cared. Like, did they have enough water? Did they get enough food that day? How are they doing with their blisters? Let's exchange strategies on how we're dealing with, you know, the physical side of things. And it was almost like this slowing down got me in touch with my own humanity and reprioritized that, you know, the fact that I didn't have work on my plate. I got to really focus on the people in front of me. And the way that has translated since I've gotten back is it's almost like work is just an excuse for us to do this. It's just a reason for us to kind of talk to each other and interact with each other. But really what we're doing is building community and building relationships. That's more important than anything else, the work that we're doing. And so while you were out there on the Camino discovering yourself, did you decide that financial independence was the goal or is that just like a side benefit of it? What relationship did financial independence in that pursuit have with your new found life? I think that, you know, everything that I was reading about financial independence didn't necessarily jive with me taking two months off of work, right? Because I gave up income for two months. Mm -hmm. That's compound interest that I gave up. And I think I probably spent like $6,000 on that trip total, which actually really isn't that bad, $6,000 across two months. It was cheaper than, you know, my expenses when I was, you know, just working in New York and living in New York. However, I recognized that I felt like maybe the financial independence gods (laughs) would have said like, you know, you should become financially independent and then go take that trip. And I think that's kind of where my opinion differs a little bit in some of the stuff that I'm reading and kind of my evolution in going from like extreme frugality to get out of that 30 grand in debt to kind of how I see my path to financial independence now. I'm not really willing to put my whole life on hold just to pursue that one goal. To me, it's like if I'm not willing to make myself miserable for the pursuit of financial independence. And I'm also, I also recognize that time is finite. Money is infinite, really. I mean, you could always make more money. You really Mm -hmm. can. It may not feel like that all the time, but you really can. Whereas time is finite. It's the most precious resource we have. And so for me to wait to do the things that I want to do it just didn't feel right. I mean, a lot of people that I met on the trail waited until, you know, they were in their 60s to go walk the Camino. And I just felt like I couldn't wait. I needed to do it now because it was a life experience I felt like I really needed to have. And I was right. It was something that was really influential for how I live my life now. Same thing with even building this conference. The idea for this conference really originated from me thinking about, well, what would I do with my time if I was financially independent? And I got really excited about a project like this because 
you know, originally I thought maybe it would be like a side hustle, but if you want to make money, don't start a conference. <laughs> it's, not, it's really not a way to, it's not a way to make money. I'm much more likely to not lose money. To me, I look at it as an investment and as like a hobby, you know, someone who is into fishing and they invest in the boat and the fishing poles and all the things that you need to do. They don't look at that as losing money. They look at it as investing in their hobby. And, and I kind of see the money that I'm investing in the conference in the same way, but same thing. I could have technically waited to do something like this until I'm financially independent, but I'm going to be financially independent in eight years. Mm -hmm. I can't wait that long. Like I'm too excited about this thing to wait eight years to do it. So I don't know that I think if you're really jazzed about something and you have an idea in your mind, you could always talk yourself out of it and always say, I'll do it later. I'll do it when I'll do it when, but that time is never going to come. You got to do the things that you want to do. I'm trying to like walk through this path. You get back from the Camino, you get back to Cincinnati where you now have this work of far work tele-remote type situation, which you've explained a little bit. And we talked about at length when we met in face-to-face at Camp 5. And you described as a very kind of a happy situation and you're very happy with your scenario in Cincinnati. Why start a conference? What is the big fire behind this conference and what are you trying to accomplish with it? I think that any of us, when we discover something that is really impactful on our lives, you know, just discovering this five stuff, it completely changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, I don't think I would have ever walked the Camino when I did if I didn't get my finances in order. I don't think I would have had the balls to move out of New York if I didn't have FU money. You know, it's something that I'm really passionate about because I see how much it's made a difference in my life. And I think when you're in that position, and especially because I think all of us have a need for creative expression. So I see all the blogs and the podcasts and the books that come out about FIRE, financial independence, and people wanting to share their knowledge. And I would say that I'm in that camp, but I don't think that my contribution is another book or a podcast or a blog. I think that the people out there creating that content are doing a fantastic job and they're saying those things more eloquently than I ever could. What I saw my contribution to be would be to create a platform versus to create more content, to allow the people out there saying these amazing things to, you know, have a a literal stage to say it on. I would also say that I love events I went to Camp Fi. I went to Camp Mustache. I go to World Domination Summit. This was my third year in a row that I went this year. I'll be at Sense Positive this fall. I'm going to FinCon for the first time. Like I just love events. And even in my professional career, I go to a lot of trade shows and I just feel like a kid in a candy store. I'm like one of the most extroverted people I know. And so kind of sitting behind a computer and creating a blog or interacting with people online is not something that is, doesn't feel true to me. I think the events are really what I get jazzed about. And so creating one and creating really the big inspiration for it was World Domination Summit. I mean, every year when I go to World Domination Summit, I leave just feeling so inspired and so energized. And I remember the last year, not this year, but the year before, when I really decided to get serious about this conference, I remember thinking, could I create something that makes other people feel the way that I feel right now about this topic of fire? That really was the main motivation. I don't see myself convincing anyone about the fire movement. I don't see myself as like an authority you know, super knowledgeable about all this stuff. You know, I see myself as a regular person that was completely changed. My trajectory was changed because I discovered this stuff and I want to make it more accessible for people who don't yet know that it's their thing. I mean, that's my main motivation here. 
And doing it at University of Cincinnati is really exciting to me because I think, what if I would have discovered this when I was in college? You know, how different would my 20s have been? Hopefully I would have been receptive to it. That's very exciting to me to think that, you know, this group of young people who are graduating from school who are probably freaking out about their student loan debt, for them to kind of expand their idea of what's possible when it comes to their finances and how they're designing their life, it's really exciting to me. All right, let's delve a little bit into the conference itself. Your tagline is exploring the new American dream. What is the new American dream? So I'm calling it the new American dream, but, you know, when I was kind of on this idea of how do I position this, how do I explain this to people, I looked up just a definition of the American dream and I came across this definition that said the American dream originated as an ideal where every person has the right to pursue his or her own unique version of happiness. And that really spoke to me because I felt like I was on this path where I was following kind of what we traditionally think of the American dream, like I mentioned before, with the house and the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and kind of pursuing that ideal. And I realized that that was somebody else's ideal. That was almost like my cultural conditioning of what I'm taught to want. And my own unique version of happiness ended up being walking across Spain and working from home and adopting a dog and going to all these weird financial camps. You know, like that's my unique version of happiness. And I had to kind of come up with that on my own. So I'm calling it a new American dream, but it really is kind of the original American dream for of people kind of taking that role of being the captain of their own ship and deciding what truly makes me happy versus what my cultural conditioning says. So I see economy as this like one day conference about reclaiming the right of the American dream because the way that I see it, it's kind of devolved into this consumerist materialistic culture that may not be making us any happier. So I'm kind of planning this day where these speakers are going to guide us in questioning our assumptions about happiness and freedom and prosperity through the lens of personal finance, because I do think that the financial aspect of it is really a tool that people can use to create that unique version of happiness. Okay. Talk to us a little bit more about the format of the conference. You say it's one day. How is it going to be structured? So we're going to have two sessions of speakers, about four speakers in the morning, and then we're going to break in the middle of the day for about three hours. And that way people can go have lunch. They can explore Cincinnati a little bit. There'll be opportunities for kind of attendee-led meetups, you know, because since we have that big break in the middle of the day, the venue is actually the student center at the University of Cincinnati. So there's a, a big space that I have for 700 people for the actual conference. But then I also rented out a movie theater that's in the same building and we're going to be screening Playing With Fire. So 200 people get to go see that. Unfortunately, the theater isn't big enough for everyone, but a group of people will get to see Playing With Fire as well as, you know, have their lunch and have their midday break. And then we'll get back together in the afternoon for about five more speakers. And then everyone kind of goes their own way for dinner. And then we're going to have an after party at a cool venue downtown. So I really wanted to keep it simple for the first year because planning this event is, I mean, it's a huge undertaking. And I wanted to try to keep it as manageable as possible for the first year so that I can build upon it from there. So it is a one-day event, but I anticipate in future years that we'll have things like workshops and breakout sessions and that kind of thing in multiple days. But yeah, keeping it pretty simple for the first year. You know what? 
I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Let's talk a little bit about the topics. In some of your reference material that I've seen, you have like a Maslow's triangle, right? And up at the top, you have inspiration. And there's a, a little bubble that says life design. And under that, practical tools, including things like minimalism and travel rewards and side hustles. And finally, philosophy and mindset. How did you come up with that framework for the conference? Well, I think part of the creative fun and challenge of this event is trying to build a collection of speakers and content that apply to the broad audience that I'm anticipating might be interested in this event. So there's definitely like the people who are already knowledgeable about FIRE who would be coming for inspiration and networking and really to kind of reinforce a lot of the values that we talk about in the FIRE movement to kind of keep you on the course. You know, I don't think you can read one blog and just reverse all your cultural conditioning around consumerism. I think that's why there are so many blogs and podcasts and books about this topic because we need to consistently reinforce force and what it is we're trying to do here. So I'm kind of curating content around philosophy and mindset for that reason, to reinforce for people in the FIRE movement, but then also for students and people who are maybe financially conscious, but aren't really familiar with FIRE, to kind of have that baseline of philosophy and mindset so that when we talk about practical tools like the path to FI or side hustles or conscious consumption or investing, that we're building upon the mindset. And some of those things may be more easily digestible when you start out with things like intentional living and minimalism and simplicity. But ultimately, all of of it is really leading up to life design. And I don't think there's any right way to do any of this. I think it's all just food for thought. And so I really anticipate, you know, having a collection of speakers that are sharing their stories and sharing kind of things that work for them, but they're not saying this is the right way. They're just saying this is a way. And I would love to just encourage everyone in the audience to take everything with a grain of salt and kind of pick and choose the aspects of it that work for you and that inspire you and just kind of leave the rest. You know, this isn't like a religion or anything. It's all just inspiration for really testing those assumptions and again, really looking to build a life that's unique to you. Who's the target audience? I mean, is this for newbies? Is this for people who just discovered financial independence? Or is this for people who are a little bit farther along the path? Or is it for both? 
I think it's for everyone. I really think it's for everyone. You know, this is the first year that I went to like Camp Mustache and Camp Fi. And I remember thinking that when I first discovered those that I really wanted to go, but they intimidated me a little bit, you know, that I felt like everybody that was at those camps was so much further along than me. And I realize now that those camps and those events are for everyone, but I didn't realize it at the time when I first discovered them. So I do anticipate that you know, this conference will attract students, definitely with the University of Cincinnati, very heavily marketing it to students. Also people within the Cincinnati community that, again, are financially conscious, but maybe not familiar with FIRE. And even people within the FIRE movement that, again, are just reinforcing these ideas, for sure. I'm trying to curate content so that everyone sitting in the audience really leaves feeling like they learned something. Okay, so who are the speakers going to be and why did you choose those particular speakers? Oh, well, well, well. We know Doc G is one of our fantastic speakers. Well, I'm very excited about Doc G speaking for sure. That was actually a funny way that we met because someone from the local Choose Spy community had commented on something that you posted. And I actually reached out to you more in like the promotion of the conference to kind of looking for people to help me spread the word. And then you said, by the way, I'm a speaker and you sent me this amazing speech that you did at, at a medical conference that totally made me cry. <laughs> so I thought, man, we got to have Doc G on the docket for sure. I'm probably about half way through booking all of my speakers. So I've got five amazing speakers lined up. Doc G is certainly one of them. We've also got Julian from Rich and Regular, and he's fantastic. I loved meeting him and talking to him. One of the follow-up emails that I sent to him after one of the conversations we had, I said that he's just got this swagger to him of like a guy that has his shit together when it comes to money, you know? And I want people to see that on stage. You know, there's just this like confidence about him that really comes across because he's got it together. We've also got Jillian from Montana Money Adventures, who, you know, she just has such great content about intentional living. And I thought that was just such an important topic to cover for sure. We've got Lynn Frere, who I know that you guys have had on your podcast. And I actually met her at Camp Mustache. She did a session on healthcare options, which it was a wonderful session, which I left thinking, man, there are no good options. <laughs> but she really did a thorough job and she was a great speaker. And her and I really connected on the eight forms of capital, which was a new topic that we heard presented at Camp Mustache. And it was just one of those topics where it's about money, but it's about so much more than money. And it very much aligns with the values of economy for sure. So um, we really connected on that. And, and she's going to be speaking about the eight forms of capital. We also have a woman named Rose Lunsbury, and she's actually local here. She is a minimalism coach, wrote a book on minimalism. She's at a TED Talk on minimalism and just about an hour away. And she's fantastic. And what's fun about her is her approach to minimalism wasn't really from the financial aspect of things. And the more that we've talked about fire and I've introduced her to different books and she's just seeing the overlap and how relevant kind of the financial aspect to minimalism. Um, and, and she's really creating new content around that. I'm about halfway. I've got maybe four more speaking slots. And I think that I've really curated a lot around like the mindset and philosophy. And so I'm looking for additional speakers to talk more about those practical tools for sure. And it's also really important to me, which is another kind of creative challenge in pulling this together. I really want the speaker lineup to be very diverse and inclusive because I recognize 
you know, some of the criticism of the FIRE movement is, you know, it's a very privileged movement, you know, talking about white privilege and all of that is definitely relevant. I totally get that. But at the same time, in my research, and I've reached out to like over a hundred people within this space that from all income levels, from all backgrounds, all races, all orientations, and I see so many positive examples out there that are diverse and inclusive. And so I want to make sure that's represented on stage as well. But it's a creative challenge for sure. And when I'm at FinCon in the next few weeks, I'm definitely going to be looking for people to add to the diverse and inclusive lineup. So there is some definite buzz going around about economy. And one of the things I heard is someone described it as the TEDx for financial independence. What do you feel about that characterization? Is it fitting or not? Yeah, I definitely think it's fitting. It's a very simple format. It's inspiring speakers. You know, I've I've loved TED Talks, so I watch them a lot online and I've gone to like TEDx Cincinnati. I would say that some of the differences would include that, you know, we're we're a full day event versus just kind of evening programming. There will be opportunities for Q&A with the speakers. So that's not really included in TED Talks. But, you know, the whole recording of the speeches and making them available afterwards is definitely a goal of mine because really it's about making this information accessible. So I'm trying to keep the price point for the tickets really low and definitely making those videos freely available afterwards to spread these ideas for sure. And so I'm curious, how do you see the economy conference fitting into the current financial independence landscape with all these different formats and existing conferences out there? I think it's a different format. You know, I think when it comes to the camps, you know, it's a smaller amount of people. I think it's like 60 or 70 people that go to the, t- the camps. Yep little bit of a higher price tag um, than what I'm asking for. I think it's a lot more intimate, you know, and it's much more about spending time, you know, with each other and group activities, whereas this is more like inspirational talks. You know, I saw that like Grant announced his conference today, which looks phenomenal. And I've talked to him about messaging and, you know, how to describe the differences between our conferences. I look at economy as really like this day of inspiration. So come to economy, get inspired, get the wheels turning, and then go to Grant's conference and do the deep dive workshops and come up with the plan. You know, his has a lot more speakers and it's more, again, those deep dive workshops versus, you know, a day of inspiration. So that's that's the difference that I see. And then the other conferences, you know, there's Sense Positive, there's Statement, there's Lola Retreat. Those are really geared towards women. And this isn't, you know, geared towards a certain gender. This is, again, trying to be diverse and inclusive. So I love all these events popping up because, first of all, I want to go to all of them. And I really view it as a rising tide rises all ships. And just like, you know, when someone launches a new blog, we celebrate it. I think when people launch a new event, we should celebrate it you know, nothing will replace us talking to each other face to face. And so the more events, the better in my mind. So you were referring to Grant Sabatier's conference. It's the Financial Freedom Project. That's going to be in June in St. Louis. And funny enough, I do connect them in my brain too. But as you've described it, it sounds like they have different purposes, but they're somewhat aligned in general theme. So let's talk about the future a little bit. You and I have discussed this in the past. This is not meant to be a one-time conference, is it? No, no. I see this as a yearly event. You know, I think I'm learning a ton Mm -hmm. in the first year. 
it used to be that the hardest thing I've ever done was walk across Spain. And now the hardest thing I've ever done is try to produce a conference. So I think, you know, learning how it goes the first year, kind of working out the kinks. I definitely see it as a yearly event at the University of Cincinnati. But I also love the idea of kind of packaging it up and bringing it around to other universities because one of the most interesting parts of this conference is really the pay it forward aspect of making this information accessible to students. You know, there's a lot of talk out there about financial literacy and education. And even within Cincinnati, there are programs to bring financial literacy into the school districts. And so I see this kind of as adding to that for sure at the college level. Yeah, and there is kind of a groundswell of financial literacy type projects that you hear in different aspects of either post-secondary or secondary education. I'm curious, how do you see this evolving where you have an aspect of it, you have one foot in that space, but then you have another foot into the actually existing financial independence movement for those of us who are out in the world and actually earning money? Again, I think it's for people within the FIRE movement, I think it's reinforcement and One of the things that really interests me about producing an event, I mean, I love reading the blogs and I mean, you guys like post so much online. It's just amazing to see like all the interaction and community building that happens online. That's actually like not my jam. I definitely read through the stuff, but I wouldn't say that I'm totally comfortable with the interaction online. I'm much more comfortable with the interaction in person. And so I see this event contributing to that, to getting more people out from behind their screens and interacting face-to-face. I think it's really, really important. So within the FIRE movement, I see a economy contributing to that piece of it. And then, you know, within kind of financial literacy, I mean, one of the things that I love about the FIRE movement is to me, it's like personal finance on steroids. That's why I think it's more appropriate for college students because it is a bit of a a provocative idea. And it's like, you know, you get your kind of financial literacy, the stepping stones, maybe when you're younger, and then you get exposed to kind of this personal finance on steroids, maybe when you're in college to kind of consider some of those ideas. I do see the FIRE movement as a little bit more advanced than maybe what people are being exposed to, like with Dave Ramsey and all that. And I love like that content. I think it's really important and he's helping so many people, but it's almost like the FIRE movement to me is like the next step. So tell me if you're willing to disclose, are there strategic sponsors, strategic connections that you're making with this conference? Are there other people involved? I'm actually just starting to get that off the ground now. Definitely the speakers, I would say, are strategic in that, you know, they have following, they're helping me spread the word, working with them on, you know, creating the content for what they're going to speak about. I am definitely looking for sponsors in that I'm hoping to be able to cover student tickets or at least a portion of student tickets with sponsorship money so that they can come at no cost to them. And I did kind of come up with like a questionnaire or scholarship application for those students to be able to apply. I recognize from other events that I've produced that when you offer something for free, people don't show up. So I got to create kind of another barrier to entry for students to make sure that we have an engaged audience of people that really want to be there versus, oh, this is for free. You know, I'll just claim a ticket and then then not show up. So yeah, I'm definitely looking for more collaborators, more sponsors to be able to bring this thing for life. It's very much still in development right now. And you're going to give us a few tickets to give away for the What's Up Next podcast crowd. Is that right? Yeah, but they have to show up. We will hold you accountable. Yeah, that's right. So I'm curious, what is winning for you in this case? What is your desired outcome and what you hope to accomplish by having this 
I would love to see an engaged audience, hopefully 700 people. Mm -hmm. That's how much space I have. And I, I think success for me is for every person leaving this conference feeling like they learned something, whether it's reinforcing the values that they've already built for themselves because they're participating in the FIRE movement, or it's new ideas that are helping these students or other people within the community to expand their idea of what's possible. Just for every person to be able to leave feeling like they learned something and made some kind of connection where the future feels brighter for them. That to me is success for sure. And I forgot to ask you, are you going to speak yourself? I'm considering being the MC, considering it. You know, it's a ways away. I have some time to think about it, but I'm considering it. I would add in as a little color to this conversation, Diana, you and I first talked and you said, hey, you know, I want you to be involved. Maybe you'll come speak. And I bought in immediately. And part of it is that Diana's personality is the type that you get on the phone with her and you start talking to her and you know immediately it's going to be a success. And the reason why is she has just taken everything into account. And so I was so impressed during our first conversations just about how thoughtful you were about the whole process. So I was sold within like the first three seconds. It was like, do you want to come talk? Yeah, sure. I'll come talk. Because I knew somehow, even from the first few moments of talking to you, that this was going to end up being a great conference, a quality event. And it's just something about who you are. And Paul, I would venture that you spent some time with her at Camp Fi and would echo what I just said. Yes, for sure. Uh, We were carpool mates and I didn't really put it together. I'd already sent her the invitation to come to listen to or to be a guest on this podcast per our process doc. And then we got in the car and I was like, wait a second. And we kind of pieced it together while we were driving down from Denver to Colorado Springs. And that is kind of where things went with us. And there is an an infectious personality that comes out very quickly, very present and on it. And I just can't wait to go. I'm looking forward to sharing some of our tickets with our guests. And the question is, where can people find out more about this, Diana? Yeah. So you can go to the website, economyconference.com. And actually early bird tickets have opened. So ticket sales are available now. And then you can also go there to sign up for the mailing list so that as new speakers are announced and as new news comes up, you'll be notified. You can also just started kind of the social media. Like I said, it's not really my jam. So I'm yep. working with digital marketer on that side of things, but those pages are started. So we've got economy conference, the page is set up as well as a group so that you can start interacting with other attendees and you know continue to learn about the conference as it's being developed for sure. Is there anything about this conference that we did not ask that you want to make sure and share with our audience? Or were the questions just so profound and thorough that there's nothing else to say? I would say to anyone, you know, we talk about side hustles and we talk about, you know, what you want to do with your time and things that you're passionate about. And one of the things I really learned that is one of the challenges for me in building a conference is when you're creating something from scratch, there's this almost constant pivoting, right? Because you develop a plan that is based on assumptions. And then you learn that those assumptions are wrong or someone that you were depending on doesn't come through, or it's almost like this constant pivoting and course correcting that can be exhausting. And so I think that your energy kind of like 
ebbs and flows when you're putting together any kind of creative endeavor. And so I would just really like to encourage people that if you're creating something, no one warned me about that. You know, I recognize when you dump your whole heart and soul into something and all of your energy into something and you really want to see it be successful and you really want to tell everyone about it. And I would say that anyone that's creating anything out there that to just keep your head up and stay the course because I'm recognizing how hard it is and no one warned me. So I want to warn everyone else. (laughs) Well, I definitely commend you for putting yourself out there. You're definitely pushing the boundaries of what I think is comfortable for you, which is where good things come from, right? Absolutely. Can't wait for it. One last question for you. With all this time that you have now that you're spending so much time on the conference, is there anything else with you that's going on in your life? What's up next for you? I would say, I mean, this conference, I am just so focused on it. It seems like it, it does take up most of my free time mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going to FinCon and going to these other events, yep. I'm super excited about that. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Diana Miriam. It's the Economy Conference, and it's coming soon. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word NEXT to the number 345-345. That's a wrap. Diana, we didn't really get into the fact that you used to be a um, a stand-up comedian, or you've done at least some stand-up comedian stuff. You got to share with us some of your material. We'll see. We'll see. I need. So I. I was thinking of writing, trying to write some new things and get back on stage. Um, I'm trying to think of like, do I have a clean joke? <laughs> you, 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 of all the jokes you have, you cannot think of a single clean. <laughs> yeah. A financially independent guy walks into the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, there he is. Would never go to a bar. He'd buy the beer at a discount store. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, so there is a joke that I, I, I like to open with when I would go to like open mics mm. and I would say to people, you know, I'm, I'm new to this. This is a new thing for me. I've been reading a lot about stand-up comedy. And I read this blog that said that open mics are for, um, you know, aspiring comedians or for more established comedians that want to try something new. <laughs> but then it also said that no one ever goes to an open mic for the entertainment and I thought, oh my God, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the ones that makes you think, wait a second, is she saying, oh, I got it, I got it. <laughs> a little self-deprivation joke there, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, well, well. We know Doc G is one of our fantastic speakers. <gasps> really? <laughs> but, but you should come anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.